0: Amen, amen. Well, y'all, once again, it is so great to see all of you here this morning at Westside Baptist Church. If you have not been with us, we are going through a study in the book of John at the moment, so I'd ask if you would please open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4 or look on your phone, whichever one. Looks like we might be out of a screen today, unfortunately, but if you would, uh, open up to John chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I just want to begin with this. Have any of you ever asked? Or have you ever heard anybody ask the question, why am I here? Have you ever asked this question? ever heard anybody ask the question, what am I here for? What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's will for my life? What is God's calling on my life? You know, doing four years of college ministry, I learned that every single college student, it seemed like that came through our ministry, all of them were asking that question, But now while I believe younger people maybe are asking that question, I believe we ask that question at various points of our life. What is God's will for my life? During this season, what is his will? During this season, what is his will? I think all of us ask the question, what is God's purpose for me? Why am I here? You know, many of you have maybe heard of the leadership guru, as many consider him, Simon Sinek. He is a very well-known guy. He, He writes a lot of books on leadership. He does conferences on leadership. And one of the biggest principles that he has brought that I don't think really is rocket science, it's very simple that he brings to companies to help them understand how to be an effective company is he calls something called the golden circle, the golden circle. And the golden circle is basically looking at the why, the how, and the what of the company that you're in. He says, in order to understand everything that you do, you must start with the center, and the center is why. Why are you here Then you can move out to the what of your company and the how you can actually flesh that out. Well, I think that might be true for a successful successful company. Y'all, I believe that is absolutely true for our life as well. If we want to live a life for Christ that we can get to the end of our life and say we ran the race well, we have to know why. It begins there. Why are you and I here? Then we can move to the what does it look like? We can move to the how do we do it? But it begins with the why. This morning, the title of the sermon is his will, his will, and our work. His will, our work. And we're gonna be looking through John four in the middle part of John chapter four, and we're gonna be answering these questions of why, what, and how, and what this actually looks like for our life. What is our purpose? Why are we here? And what would it look like to live that out? Let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, I thank you for a chance to come together God, I thank you for all those who traveled this morning and got here, Lord. I know with the rain and other things, it'd be easy to not be here. But God, I also know that you have all of us here this morning for a reason and for a purpose. God, help us focus in on you. Help us hear what you have to say to us this morning. Help us see. Help us respond. Ultimately, God, as always, I pray, please put your words in my mouth and keep my words out of yours. Help us worship you this morning. We ask all this in your precious and your holy son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, y'all, one difficult thing about the passage we're jumping into this morning is we're jumping in right in the middle of a story. And so I want to give you a little bit of a recap. If you were here last week, maybe you remember it well. If not, you know, this will be a refresher. But if you weren't here, hopefully this will give you some sort of an idea. So where we're at is we're coming into John chapter 4. We're going to be beginning with verse 27 this morning. But as uh, where we're at in this chapter, there's already been 26 verses. A lot of things have occurred. And last week we broke down what has occurred so far is the woman at the well, or the story of the woman at the well, or the way that, that we said it last week, it's the story of the bad Samaritan. And just to remind you of the different segments of this, one, we began with understanding that there was a divine appointment in this story. Jesus was doing ministry in Judea, but he said, I have to go to Galilee, and, and to get to Galilee, he said, I have to pass through Samaria. Now, if you remember geographically, yes, you could go through Samaria to get to Galilee, but most people traveled around Samaria because of how badly the Jews hated the Samaritans. But Jesus said, we have to pass through Samaria. You see, Jesus went to Samaria, went to a specific well at noon at a specific time because he had a divine appointment. He was there to meet with a woman. We see in the story later on, a woman comes to the well and she comes to draw water and Jesus begins a conversation with her. where we see the second part of that story a conversation jesus says give me some water to drink and she says sir how is it that you a jew ask me for water she was confused by what he asked of her and he said ma'am if you knew who i was you would ask me for water and i would give you living water and this living water if, if it gets inside of you it becomes a well a wellspring that flows out into your life it wells up to eternal life she finally says sir give me this water And then we move from the conversation to a confrontation. She says, give me this water. And Jesus responds by saying, well, first, go and get your husband. And she says, I'm not married. He says, you're right, you're not married. You've actually been married five times, and the person you're living with right now isn't your husband. What we see is Jesus calls her out with where she's at, the lifestyle that she's in. And he asks her about her husband to expose the past, but in order that she might be able to come to her Savior. Which leads to the last part of the story, which is a revelation. Revelation where Jesus is trying to tell her about true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, and he essentially is the one who's bringing true worship. And she says, sir, I know the Messiah one day is gonna come. And he said, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. And this is where we're picking up in the story in verse 27, right after he finishes telling her, I am the Messiah, and we see the last part of this story, which is a transformation. Look at me at verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back which don't underestimate the purpose of that. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? I always feel bad for the disciples because you know they think of obvious questions, but they're scared to ask Jesus because Jesus typically responds in a way that you wouldn't expect. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. We see something very interesting here. We see Jesus is is talking to this woman. All of a sudden, the disciples who went away to get food, they come back into the picture. Now, y'all, I don't want you to underestimate the whole purpose that this happens. Part of the reason Jesus has this divine appointment is, yes, he goes to meet this woman, but he has a story for his disciples as well, and he wants them to see something. Well, they come back, and they come back to him, and all of a sudden, you see the woman, she leaves, and she leaves her water jar Behind, which is an interesting detail. You know, in college ministry, one of the things that I enjoyed was always got to see uh, relationships begin to bud, to say the least. And one of my favorite things I remember getting to see is we were at a, a coffee shop in town in Ruston. It was actually owned by, by our church. It was one of the ways we outreached to the university. But we were in the coffee shop one day, and I had my intern with me, and we're on one side of the coffee shop, and a girl that he had been noticing had come in pretty much every day. She had a, a, a good coffee addiction. That's how great relationships begin. She kept coming into the depot to uh, get coffee. Well, he kept saying, you know, man, I'd love to go over there and just talk to her. Well, it turns out I knew who she was. She was from Quitman, and anybody who's from Quitman, it's it's literally the village of Quitman is where I'm from. If you don't know somebody, then you're not from there. It's that type of village. And so I knew who she was, and so y'all, literally for 30 minutes, we're on one side of the coffee shop while she's on the other side of the counter, essentially, and we're telling him, look, just go over there and say this. Go do this. Go do this. Now, girls, I know you might can laugh at that, but it takes a lot of courage sometimes for guys to work up the nerve to go and just approach a girl. But anyway, we're encouraging him to do this, and Y'all, literally, at one point, he's taking notes on his phone. Okay, I can say this. I can I can do this. Like, okay, you know, he's getting all this down. And his whole purpose is, we're like, look, just know what your mission is. You're going there to say hello, to say, hey, I'd love to get some coffee with you sometime. You know, we talked a little bit about that. Ask her for a number and then get out of there. Kind of the thought process is what we had. And so finally, he's like, okay, and he gets up, and he goes, but we notice he leaves his phone, which has his notes in case he forgets, and doesn't even have his phone to get her number. Anyway, he goes around, and he asks her for her number, and surprisingly, she says, sure, I'd love to go get coffee with you, which he was shocked at this point. So she goes to give a number, and he realizes he doesn't have his phone. He turns around to go back and get his phone, and he trips over a, a chair that's in the way. Literally, it was just a disaster in many ways, but they are happily married now, so that's a good thing. Actually got to do their wedding. But the whole point of me saying that is it's interesting. He got so tunnel visioned of like, okay, this is what I need to go do. He forgot his phone, the very device he was going to use to be able to, to get her number and to reach out to her. Now, I want you to notice there's one small detail here that some people make a lot of, some people minimize. But I want you to notice in verse 28, where it says, The woman left her water jar and went away into town and began speaking to the people about Jesus. Think about this some people say you know maybe she left her water jar there out of courtesy to Jesus to allow him to get some water I'm not buying that I don't think that's right it seems odd that she came there the whole purpose of her coming there would be to get water it would make sense for her to get water and go back into town but what she had experienced made her not even worry about the temporal water in front of her instead she ran back into town and began sharing with people come and see this man who told me everything that I've ever done now, because we've had two Sundays on this, I want to recap, and I want you to put yourself in the story as best as you can. Hear this again. This woman who went to the well during the middle of the day, whenever people didn't do that, she went by herself whenever women didn't do that. She was a social outcast. She purposefully stayed away from people and stayed away from the well during the cooler parts of the day so she wouldn't run into people. Because of what just happened to her, she leaves and goes into town and begins telling people, can this Be the Messiah the one who was shunning people before now becomes essentially an evangelist it's interesting to notice here this woman who one second she's known as the bad Samaritan now we see obviously her past isn't what defines her she's not worried about the way people are looking at her anymore instead she goes into town and begins telling what it seems like anybody who will listen now the attention goes to a conversation next that we see with the disciples. Look at verses 31 through 33. And I'm sorry, buddy, it's not that bad, I promise. <laughs> so 31 through 33, it says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Yo, I want you to picture this. Picture this. They come, they see Jesus talking to a woman by himself. Now remember, for a rabbi to be seen speaking to a woman in public would have been the end of their reputation. Would have been the end of their reputation. This was anathema. You do not do this. The disciples come up, they see her, they're afraid to ask, but then people start coming out of the villages to talk to Jesus, and what's on the disciples' minds? Not what's going on. They say, Rabbi, you need to eat. Notice how Jesus responds. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not even know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something else to eat? It's interesting. Jesus responds to them. They misunderstand, per usual. They're like, what is he talking about? And I don't want you to miss verse 34. This is the game changer in this whole story, this whole setting. Verse 34. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Y'all hear that again. He says, my food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work. Now, I want to flesh this out a little bit. Think about this, because we can read this and just kind of move on. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is what my food is. In other words, first thing, he's saying, this is what satisfies me, to do his will and to accomplish his work. Y'all think about food. This is Thanksgiving week, in case you didn't know. I'm sure many of you probably know about that. I'm sure you know that we're eating afterwards. There's food there. I'm sure many of you are already thinking that. You know, you're here presently. You might be there in spirit though, right? But y'all, whenever I think about Thanksgiving, yes, I think about family, but obviously they're second to food, right? Like I think about food. Like I remember growing up, and, and we usually have a tradition where we get to go to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and Emily knows this. Whenever if you go to my mom's house for Thanksgiving, you're walking into a golden corral. Like that's what it is essentially I mean she has a whole table that is nothing but desserts I mean like all kinds of desserts she makes multiple meats. she makes a Cajun turkey and hear me if you haven't had Cajun turkey I'm sorry I'm sorry it's incredible Cajun turkey she'll have ham or some other meat for us to have she have all sorts of vegetables she have all of these different things and y'all if you're anything like me I can pig out at a Thanksgiving meal What's interesting is whenever you eat, at some point you stop eating, right? Youth, it'll happen at some point. At some point you stop eating, right? Because why? Because you're full. You're, You're satisfied. One of the purposes of eating is to satisfy your hunger. Listen to what Jesus is saying. More satisfying to him than eating food at this moment was doing the will of the Father. He says my food what satisfies me is not the temporal things of this world it's the spiritual things the things that have a lasting impact Jesus is clearly trying to say this is what satisfies me obeying the father was his number one priority do his will accomplish his work and y'all remember Jesus comes to the well he's sitting at the well and if you remember it says he's sitting there because he's weary he's tired he's thirsty he's hungry And yet, in the midst of all this, his focus is on what? Doing the will of the Father. His will, his will, do his will, accomplish his work. First, we see that it was what satisfied him. Secondly, y'all think about this, flesh it out. This is what he thought about daily. Look, there's a lot of easy questions I could ask you this morning, but probably the easiest one is this. Do you think about food every day? Yes. Some of you, the only time I might get an amen from you is never talk about some food, amen, right? right? We all think about food. And if you're not thinking about food, what does your stomach remind you of? Food. Eat. We have programmed responses to remind us we need to eat. We don't just eat because it's a necessity. We also eat because food's enjoyable, right? God gave us taste buds. He gave us nose to be able to smell, right? We eat because it's enjoyable. I saw something this week that I said yes and amen to. Do you know the Christmas tree cakes? Like it's like a little Christmas tree with the cream filling on the inside. I saw somebody give a, finally, some of the youth are like, yeah, I know what that is. I saw somebody this week give a recipe of how to properly fry them. All of y'all are like, mind blown, right? Y'all, I'm telling you, I watched it. Yes and amen is all I could say to it, right? Like, we eat because it's a necessity, but we also eat because we enjoy it. It's pleasurable. It's what we think about, and it's natural to think about food throughout the day. Hear what Jesus is saying this is what is on my mind throughout the day do his will accomplish his work it's the necessity for jesus he's using this analogy to show them y'all this was his daily routine seek to do the father's will and accomplish his work this was why jesus was even here he was here for this very purpose and friends hear me this morning hear me the why of your life is this why are you here to do the will of God and to accomplish the word of God. That is why you are here. They answer to the first question, why are you here? To do his will and to accomplish his work. We have to understand that our why begins here. Now think about what Jesus even calls the church. He calls us the body of Christ. He calls us the body of Christ. Now there's several reasons why he calls us that, right? He calls us that because together we accomplish the work best, right? Together, each of us have different gifts and talents, and we're all needed, right? He says this for several reasons, but also, why do you think we're called the body of Christ? Because Jesus isn't here, so who's to do the work of Jesus? We are. We are. As his body, we are to live as he will. We are to be like he would be in his stead. We are to live as he would call us to live, to do the will of God and to accomplish the work of God. Y'all ought to ask you first thing this morning, is this how you view your life? Is this how you view your purpose? If somebody were to ask you, what is your aim and purpose in life? Would you say it's to do the Father's will and to accomplish his work? Would you point to Jesus to say, this is what I'm called to do? Y'all, unfortunately, I feel like we are bad at actually doing this but getting it swapped. I fear we're actually, many cases, We actually look for our will to be done and for it to be God's work. Instead of his will is our work, we see my will is his work. God, do this for me. This is my will. Do it for me. Work in this area of my life. Do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. Now hear me. Jesus does stuff for us still, no doubt. But the greatest thing that God could ever do for you, he's already done 2,000 years ago through Jesus. Whenever you come to Christ, that's where that reversal happens. You see what he's done for you, and then you give your life to do for him. It's his will and our work. And you know, all of our responsibility is to figure out what does that mean? What is his will and his work for you in your life? Which leads to the second question. What are his will and work? First, why are we here to do his will and accomplish his work? Secondly, what are his will and and work now to be clear y'all we can say what is God's will we can add many different things as a husband there's a will as a wife there's a will as a parent there's a will as an employee there's a will but specifically looking broadly what is his will and work and I believe Jesus answers this in verses 35 through 38 first he tells his disciples my food is to do the will of whom, him who sent me and to accomplish his work." then he says do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest look You can look in two broad ways. One way he's saying this, he says, look, look up and see that the field is ripe for harvest. Look up and see that God is working. Go be harvesters in this work. In other words, go share Jesus with them. Go share the gospel with them. Go and do the work. Another way you can say it is, what is he trying to tell the disciples to do? What he just did for the Samaritan woman, he's saying, go and do for others. And y'all, can you imagine this scene? It says people are coming out of the village to Jesus, and he says, look, and see that the field is ripe for harvest. Who do you think he's pointing to? People. Look, even now, people are seeking to come to me. And look at how he puts it. He says, labor, labor in this. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Y'all, to be clear, what are his will and work in your life? is to be laborers in the harvest. Period. You can go more specific than that, you can nuance that, but overarching it is do his will accomplish his work how be laborers in the harvest. You know, have you ever thought about the Christian life as labor? As labor? This is a common a common metaphor that Jesus uses whenever talking about doing the work of Christ, living for him. He says this in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 through 38. He says, whenever Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Hear that again. The harvest is plentiful. It's abundant. But the laborers, the people doing the work are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, it's interesting. First, he tells the disciples, pray earnestly for laborers to be sent. And then if you look at the very next first, Jesus sends them. He says, go. Pray earnestly for laborers. Oh, and by the way, labor yourself. Do the work. Now, whenever you think of the word labor, what comes to mind? Maybe it's hard work. Maybe it's diligent work. Maybe it's working. Maybe it's effort in some capacity. For me, whenever I hear the word labor, I think of giving birth. That's the first thing that come to mind. You know, you have to think for somebody that hasn't had a child yet, what comes to mind whenever they're told, one day you're gonna go into labor when you have a child, right? Like, that doesn't sound very fun, right? And labor, I've been there for three different times when that has happened. It's not easy, to say the least. But labor is what? It's this idea of excruciating effort. It is hard work, and it's not easy. That doesn't mean it's easy at all. I would not dare to say that labor, especially in the birthing part, is easy. I don't wanna get hit today. But labor in general, it is not an easy thing. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, labor alongside of this. That doesn't mean that it's complicated. It does mean that it's going to be difficult, though. To labor is difficult. And here why. It is labor to live for the Lord, to share the gospel with others, because there are so many distractions in our world today. Y'all, I'm sure you've heard me say this. There are two ways the devil comes after us. He wants to make us distrust what God has to say to us, doubt the truth. Or he just wants to distract us. He wants to bring doubt or distraction. One or two things is gonna happen. And for us today, distraction is such a hard pull to keep us from looking at what is the why of our lives. It's labor because there's so many distractions. We have to stay focused. It's labor because we have to be intentional to share the gospel with people. It's labor because it calls us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Guys, hear me. If you're living no different than the world, nobody's gonna listen to the message you have. Right? Nobody's going to listen to what you have to say. If you look no different than anybody else around you, but if the gospel has changed you, your actions open the door for your voice to speak. It's labor because it calls us to live life in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's labor because it calls us to take risks. But hear me, is it not the greatest risk you could ever take? Y'all, do you know what it is whenever you share the gospel with someone? Whenever you share with the gospel with someone, you move into a spot where you care more about their relationship with God than you do their relationship with you. And that's a spot to be in. It takes risks to labor for him. Also, if you think about it, is this not where we face many of the attacks of the enemy? Wouldn't the devil's goal be to keep us from sharing the gospel with other people? I'm sure many of you have probably heard of the parable of the sower before. It's this parable of this person who has seed, and they go out and they're throwing out seed, and it lands on four different soils. And Jesus, you know, goes out and explains this. And he talks about how this, the seed is the word of the gospel. It's the gospel message. I heard a guy named Junior Hill preach a sermon on this once. I don't know if y'all ever heard of Junior Hill or not, but he was a pretty big evangelist. Definitely a pastor, two pastors. I'll never forget, I heard him preach that sermon. He says, what's the goal of the devil in the parable of the sower? You know, I began to think about the seeds and different things, maybe, you know, different how different people here receive the word. He says the goal of the devil is to take the seed out of the sower's hand. If seed never gets thrown, it doesn't land on good soul or bad soul. If seed never gets thrown, nobody ever hears the message of the gospel. You don't have to worry about anything after that. The devil's goal is to take the seed out of our hands. But look at what Jesus says in verse 38 enter into their labor. Why are we here? To do his will and to accomplish his work. What are his will and work? To be laborers in the harvest. The third way we can look at this is how are we called to labor? How are we actually called to labor? So while we're here, what we're here to do, how are we actually to do this? Jesus lays it out right here as well. One, he says labor urgently. He lays it out in four points. One, he says labor urgently. Urgently. Notice what he says to them. Lift up your eyes and see that the field is ripe for harvest. What is he telling them? That the time is right now. Don't wait. Don't wait for something else. The time is now, and urgency is needed. And y'all, we're not we're much like the disciples in this. We all struggle here, right? We struggle to live with a sense of urgency. But I want you to know there are two common truths I know you would agree with, as would I. One is that this. Is that the brevity of life is serious. Life goes by like that. I was riding in the car this last week with a friend of mine who's in his 70s, and I was talking to him, and something came up. I don't even remember how it came up, but we were talking about his grandkids. And he said, Merrick, I cannot believe I'm 73 years old. He says, literally, I just can't even believe that I'm 73. It's crazy for me to even think this. I can't believe it. He says, it goes by so fast. And y'all, all of you, all of you know the truth of that, right? How long was COVID and how short was COVID? How long was staying home and how short was it? How long are seasons of our life, but yet how short are they? I'll never forget whenever somebody prophetically told my wife, whenever we had our first child, and it was in some of the not sleeping phase. She said, sweetie, the days may be long, but the years are short. It may seem long, but before you know it, they're in school. Then before you know it, they're asking for a cell phone. And then before you know it, a car. And then graduation. And what else might be after that? Before you know it, you're a parent or a grandparent or whatever it might be. Y'all, life goes by fast. What Jesus is saying is don't wait till tomorrow. Because before you know it, you'll wake up and you'll go, man, it's been a year again. It's been five years. It's been 10 years. Life is fast. The second thing I want you to understand about this, y'all, is don't don't neglect the deceitfulness of sin. So often we know people that we want to share Christ with or need to share Christ with, but don't forget the more people live a lifestyle in sin, the more they are grabbed by it, the more they are entangled by the things that are in the world. The more people really live believing that, that certain pleasures will bring them joy or certain things will bring them joy or a certain status will bring them joy, the longer they live in that, the more they'll start to believe it. And y'all hear me, we cannot deny the deceitfulness of sin we must live urgently and seek to call people to know jesus i read this story this week about a famous missionary named david Brainerd. some of you maybe have heard of him he was a great missionary to the american indians and i heard a story this week about how he was sharing christ with this indian chief He'd been talking to him about christ and he saw that this this chief was close he was close to being at the spot where he would say yes i want to repent and believe in jesus though the chief knew what that would mean <laughs> It would change so much of how he did everything, right? As a chief of an Indian tribe, he knew what that would mean. And he was debilitating over whether to do this or not. And David Brainerd stands up during the middle of the conversation, walks over, grabs a stick, draws a circle around him, and he says, before you cross that line, make your decision. Now hear me, I'm not telling you you have to call all people right now, now or never, but what I am saying is David Brainerd showed the urgency that we need to have of calling people. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you recognize what he says about you and me? Do you recognize what he's done for us? Will you repent and follow him? Will you believe in him? We must do this urgently, labor urgently. The second thing he tells us here is labor diligently. Labor diligently. In verse 37 and 38, he says, One person sows, another person reaps. In other words, share the gospel without focusing too much on the result. You see, for many of us, we're afraid to share the gospel because we think, what happens if they don't place their faith in Christ? I'm a failure. Well, no, no, no. Failing is not sharing and them rejecting it. Failing is never sharing in the first place. Y'all, can you imagine the football players in high school? They finally walk on a team. First football game ever. They're the running back. They get the ball. They run. They get tackled for a two-yard gain, and they come off. They say, I'm quitting. Why are you quitting? Because I didn't make a touchdown. You know that's that's the whole goal make a touchdown I didn't make a touchdown so I'm quitting you would say what are you talking about you're not gonna make a touchdown every time y'all hear me it's the same whenever you share Christ I'll be honest with you most of the time if you share Christ with people they will not accept Jesus it's the truth of the matter but we're not called to bring people to Jesus we're called or not called to save them we're called to share with them the Spirit is the one who works in their heart and saves them regardless our role is to labor Not worrying about if we are sowing or if we are reaping, but we're called to labor and to do so diligently. The third thing we see here is we're called to labor indiscriminately. Labor indiscriminately. In other words, don't look at people on the outside and decide whether they need to hear about Jesus. Don't look at people on the outside and decide for yourself. Don't judge the soul for yourself. Rather, labor. Y'all think about this. The bad Samaritan in this story, the woman at the well, would have been considered the least likely to ever come to faith in Jesus because of who she was and yet what happened she came to faith in Christ we're called not to judge the soul not to look from the outside we aren't like Jesus we don't know people's hearts so we're called not to assume anything and you all know, that goes both ways we're called not to assume somebody knows Jesus and we're also called not to assume somebody does not We're not called to assume that this person never could receive Jesus or that this person would be a better candidate to receive him. We are called to share with all. That means people that you may think know Christ, maybe don't. It's called to strike a conversation with them. Y'all, all all of us know this, that the way we portray ourselves on the outside isn't always the truth of what's going on in here. All of us know that to be the truth. All of us know that's true. I heard a pastor a little over a year ago, make this comment to his church, and it's somewhat political, so don't, don't listen to the political aspect of it, but listen to the heart of what he was trying to say. He said to his congregation, I don't know why y'all are making a big deal about wearing masks to church. Most of you have been doing it your whole life. Think about that. Now, he said it, I didn't. <laughs> but let's be honest, is that not right? Is that not right? Do we not put a fabricated picture of ourselves on our social media accounts? Do we not put a fabricated picture of ourselves whenever we come to church? That's why we use ideas like, oh, I'm not gonna say that, I'm in the church. Y'all, God's everywhere. We cannot judge people by what's on the outside. We're called to labor indiscriminately. No matter who they are, what they look like, we're called to share Christ with them. Labor indiscriminately. And the fourth part we see is labor intentionally. Labor intentionally. I want you to notice something very interesting about this story. Jesus went to a specific spot at a specific time in order to have a specific conversation with a specific woman. You don't get much more intentional than that, right? A specific place at a specific time to have a specific conversation with a specific woman. He was intentional with her, and he shows us his where. We're called to labor intentionally now hear me you can't know the future you can't know people's hearts but look you can know where people tend to hang at work you can know where the break room is and where people often go there to talk you can find yourself there to be intentional to share christ with people you can find yourself intentionally at the same coffee shop where you see the same people to intentionally share christ with them you can find yourself in a student center on a university where people are. You see the same people typically wherever you go to be intentional to share Christ with them. Y'all, our neighbors don't change that much, right? You can find yourself going across the road to intentionally share Christ with someone. We're called to be intentional as Christ is and to let that be a part of our agenda. Here, once again, this was Jesus' plan to go to a specific spot, at a specific time, to have a specific conversation with this woman. Y'all, we need to do the same thing. We need to be intentional of how we try and share Christ with other people and share the gospel with others. So why are you here? To do his will and accomplish his work. What are his will and work? Be laborers in the harvest. How are we to labor? Jesus shows us here urgently, diligently, indiscriminately, and intentionally. And then fourth and probably my favorite part is what does this even look like? What does this even look like? And I love this. Exhibit A, is he says, be like the bad Samaritan. Exhibit A, be like the bad Samaritan, which is comical if you just hear that phrase. Look at verse 39 through 42. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, and don't miss what she's saying here. Not just he told me all that I ever did, he accepted me. He didn't cast me out, he brought me in. Verse 40 So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Yo, what did the Samaritan woman do? She goes to the well. She talks to Jesus. Jesus tells her, if you ask me, I'll become living water in here that will spring up to a well. You won't come back to the stagnant water anymore. She accepts Jesus. It's obvious. She accepts him as the Messiah. She runs away. She runs into town saying, can this be Jesus? Is this a Messiah? Y'all, what changed in her? Think about it. She was so amazed by what Jesus told her that she couldn't help but go and tell other people remember this again this is a woman who avoided people on purpose went to the well in the middle of the day so that she didn't have to go across people on purpose and yet what Jesus did in her life she runs and goes and unashamedly goes from being bored down with the guilt of her sin now to boldly sharing Jesus with people in her village what changed she met Jesus what changed? she met Jesus And no longer did the sin of her heart weigh her down rather Messiah was here and she heard that he was going to make things right and she didn't even know the full extent of what Jesus was going to do but she believed in him and what he told her and it's this simple she told the people about Jesus and how he changed her life and then she also said go and see that's where he is which I love it this is a theme if you remember back how did the first disciples come to Jesus Andrew met Jesus and he went to his brother Peter and said come and see Philip met Jesus, and he went to Nathanael, and he said, come and see. And what is this woman now doing? She goes back to her people and says, come and see. If you don't believe my story, come and see. Come and look at him. And what do they do? They listen to her. They come out of town to see this guy. This is unbelievable, y'all. The woman who they would not be caught dead talking to at the beginning of this story is now the one whose testimony they listen to and go to hear about this man. Why? Because obviously they saw something different in her. Obviously, something had changed. Obviously, as she told them about the Messiah and what he said to her, they were captivated by it and they wanted to go see for themselves. And don't miss this. This woman, who used to feel worthless and was alone, became the very tool that Jesus used to bring a village to himself. Hear that again. This woman who would not have been caught dead with a friend around her, who was worthless, hopeless, met Jesus. And through her, God reaches a large amount of people in the village. You know, if you go all the way back to the beginning of this story, and you remember what Jesus said to this woman, he says, if you ask me, I'll give you living water. Living, meaning flowing water, not stagnant well water, but living and flowing water. And this flowing water will be inside of you. And it will spring up like a well inside of you. And what you notice by the end of the story, the well is in her. It's flowing out of her, and it's flowing into the village around her. I heard one scholar say there was no flowing water in Shechem, which is where she were, was. That's why she had to go out to a well, but after Jesus met her, there was flowing water in that village. There was running water in that village. Y'all, this is the way Jesus works. He worked in her, heart, in her heart. She went and shared with others, and then he worked into theirs. And the outcast, dirty Samaritan woman becomes the very example he tells his disciples, do what she is doing. Y'all, if you don't hear anything else this morning, please heal this. It does not take a special person to share Jesus, just someone who's amazed by him. It doesn't take a uniquely gifted person to share Jesus with somebody else, just someone who's amazed by him. It doesn't take a special person, just someone who can say, I met him and he changed me. I want you to think about this woman. What was her evangelism training? She had none. The Roman road hadn't been written yet, right? but what happened, she met Jesus and she just went and told people, he changed me. Y'all, we have a word to share with the world that is around us and this word is called the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Good news is only good news if it's heard. It's not good news if they don't hear it. And I want you to ask yourself, what does this look like for you? So what does this look like? We see it here, but what does this look like for you? And as I close, I just give you a few points of application. One, it needs to begin with praying. I would tell you, pray for people and opportunities to share. Y'all, John Thompson, I don't know if they're here this morning or not, but John Thompson told me about this app. It's called Bless Every Home. If you don't have it, I would tell you, get out your phone, look on the app store, download it, and begin going through it. Bless Every Home, you can look online. It's called blesseveryhome.com. And what it is, is it has a picture of your neighborhood. It tells you the people that are living around you, and it gives you prayer points to be praying for them. And you can strategically be praying for the people that live right around you. We need to be praying. We need to be praying, God, give me an opportunity. I fear that many of us are praying, God, don't put somebody in my way where I have to share. And we should be praying the opposite. God, bring people in my path that I might share you with them. We need to, one, pray for other people and opportunities. Two, we need to seek out opportunities for our own. Seek out opportunities to share Christ with other people. Y'all, look in the circles of your life. Look at your workplace, look at your neighborhood, look in your classroom, look in your hobbies, look at the gym you go to, wherever it might be. Look at the circles where you are and understand God has you there for a reason, and it's to reach other people. It's to reach other people, to do his work, do his will, accomplish his work. Y'all, during the holidays, it is statistically proven, more people will accept an invitation and come to church during the holidays than any other time, during Christmas and Easter. Maybe you need to say, God, give me an opportunity just to invite somebody to come to church with me. Maybe you need to ask somebody to lunch or to coffee. Maybe you need to just have people inside of your homes, whatever it might be. You need to ask for opportunities, but then seek opportunities in your own life. Third, you need to engage in conversations with people. You need to engage in conversations with people. Something that I've heard from the Kentucky Baptist Convention, which to be clear, y'all, the KBC is incredible. I know I've told y'all that. I'll keep telling you. The KBC is amazing. But one of the questions that they have challenged us over and over and over and over again, in the Gospel to Every Home initiative, if you know what that is, but just in general, they say, learn to ask this question of others. Just ask people, do you have any spiritual beliefs? If if they say no, then say, well, why not? If they say yes, then say, would you mind sharing them with me? What are your spiritual beliefs? What do you believe? And then someone might say, well, I believe in Jesus. Then that's great, okay, what do you believe about him? That could mean one thing for one person, another thing for another person. Ask people, what are your spiritual beliefs? Maybe you need to say, you know what? I've been challenged by my church, and I've done this before, talking to somebody else. You know, I've been challenged by my church to share my story with someone this week. Would you mind if I share it with you? It's interesting. I find most people are perfectly fine with you sharing your story with them. We used to go stand on the college campus, and I'd have some college students, and we would just ask people, hey, do you have a second? A lot of people say, sure, I have a second. I say, hey, would you mind if I share my story with you? We're trying to do this as a part of our church. Sure, go ahead, have at it. And I get to share my story about how Christ changed my life, and then I respond with, has anything like this ever happened to you? You know, we got to have some awesome conversations with people. We just need to engage in conversations with others. The fourth thing we need to do, fourth and final I would encourage you, is you need to ask where. Ask where. Are you willing to ask Jesus, where do you want me to share your message? What do I mean by that? As most of you, you're called to share here in Murray, in Callaway County, where you live. But for some of you, God may be calling you to go somewhere else to do this. For some of you, God may be calling you to take the gospel and to share it somewhere, maybe overseas, or at a church plant, or a place where where a church needs to help be revitalized. God may be calling you to go somewhere else. For most of you, God is calling you to, 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 to do his will and accomplish his work out in the workforce, in the secular world, But for some of you, God might be calling you to do that in ministry. He might be calling you to look at full-time ministry and to go into doing this. Y'all, in the future, one of the biggest things that's gonna face our churches is that there's gonna be a massive shortage of pastors, and there already are. Statistics are showing 22% of people who are pastoring right now will not be pastoring this time next year. 22%, over one in five. Think about that. More than ever, we need to be calling people to say, maybe God is calling you to go and pastor? Are you willing to say, God, wherever you want me to go, however you want me to do it, my life is yours? Regardless, y'all, this is our work, and this is a grand work. Don't forget, God could have chosen to reach the world any way he wanted to, and his chosen method to do this is you and me. His chosen method for reaching your neighbor with the gospel is you. I got to go to the Kentucky Baptist Convention, actually, this last Monday and Tuesday. While we were there, we did a full, full day of just looking at the state of the convention and looking at other aspects like that. And at several different points throughout the, the two days, there's a pastor that gets up and he shares with us pastors. And, y'all, you know, he said something this week that stuck with me, or one of them said something this week that really stuck with me. He said, guys, there are two embarrassing questions that I should ever have to ask you or any Christian for that matter, and that's this. One, guys, when was the last time you shared Christ with someone? He's looking at a room of pastors. It should be embarrassing if I even have to ask you this. When was the last time you shared Christ with someone? And then he said, better yet, when was the last time you even tried? And you all wrote those down quickly, but I would have to ask you this morning, isn't it sad to ask any of us that? When was the last time you shared the good news of Christ with someone else? When was the last time that you even tried? Y'all, this is the whole purpose of why we're here. Don't forget the last words of Jesus. Go. Go. He doesn't say, hey, huddle. Stay around here. He says, go and make disciples. Share with them about Jesus. Teach them all that I've commanded you. This is what Christ has called us to do. And by his grace, let's do it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this morning, God, once again, I just praise you. God, I praise you because you are worthy of all worship, of all honor, God, of all glory. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, help us see in this story, God, what your word has to tell us. You're calling us to action. Father, help us see what telling the disciples to do. God, help us see how they have missed it. God, help us look inwardly and see how have we even missed it. God, I pray this morning, I don't just pray for conviction. I pray for conviction that leads to action. I pray for all of us, Lord, to do an inventory of our own hearts and lives, Lord, and see how do we respond to you. God, help us this morning. We ask all this, Lord, you precious, your holy son's name. Amen. Y'all, as the band's playing, what I would call you to in response this morning, questions I would ask you is one is this is will you be resolved to let the why of your life be what God says it is? will you be resolved to let the why of your life be what God says it is you are here to glorify him I would challenge you maybe this week you need to just put those two phrases somewhere where you see them every day do his will accomplish his work just put them up where you see them all week long be reminded will you make the why of what he says is the why of your life, your why. Secondly, I would ask you, will you commit to laboring? Understanding that it is urgently and diligently and indiscriminately and intentionally, will you commit to say, I will labor for the sake of the gospel? Will you go to the Lord and say, God, show me what that looks like for me? Will you commit to this? I would ask you, will you say, Lord, wherever, whatever, however, I will do it? Will you go? And lastly, I would ask you this morning, do you have a story to tell? Do you have a story to tell? You see, for some of us, maybe the reason or the issue and the reason we don't share Christ with other people is because we don't have a story of how God has come in contact with our lives. Maybe for some of us, we don't pass on the gospel because we don't possess it to pass it on in the first place. Yo, this morning, what I would challenge you, if you haven't repented and placed your faith in Christ, you won't tell other people about him. And I would ask you, will you do that this morning? This morning, where you're at, you can say, Jesus, I want to confess my sin to you and I want to repent of my sin and I want to give my life to you. If you haven't done that, will you do that this morning? You can do that where you're seated. You can come up, you can talk to me. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray this morning. But in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand and I want to challenge you. How do you need to respond to the Lord this morning? If you would stand and let's sing to them.